After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. My colleague Peter Flaherty is joining me, and Millie is off this week. Uh, We are in conference tournament week. It is a busy, busy, busy time of year in the college baseball calendar. We're recording this, and it's important to note when we're recording this because things things move quickly this week. Uh, We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and so we're we're, we're just at the start of the tournaments here. The... uh, a lot of tournaments, I shouldn't say most, a lot of tournaments open on Tuesday these days. Some of them start on Wednesday, a couple more still uh, push to the weekend. But uh, we're already into the heart of into the thick of it in, uh, in the SEC and the Pac-12 and the, uh, the, the ACC as well. And the American, a lot of tournaments going already. Big 12 got underway this morning. We've had some significant results. Um, and if you're looking to keep track of everything, I think the best thing to do, obviously, is first of all, follow me and Peter at Ted Cahill at Peter G. Flaherty on Twitter. Uh, the second best thing is to uh, look at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, this week, I'm updating Bubble Watch and the projected field of 64 daily. Bubble Watch even probably more than once a day. I've already updated it once today. So as significant results come in, the idea is that I, uh, I try and update that as, as quickly as I can. Uh, so if you're wondering where the field stands, where the bubble stands, I, I would I would advise you to to check that out today on the podcast, Peter. I, I guess let let's start with uh, with big picture. You're not at a tournament this week, I should say. I'm in Hoover for the SEC tournament, but Peter, you're not. Uh, you're uh, you're you're watching from uh, from your bunker. Uh, you've got all of your screens up. What is your, what's your strategy this week? Like, what are you, what are you most keyed in on? Like, how are you interacting with conference tournament week? So it's, gosh, it's like, so I'll have my laptop split screen on a game and like the score bug of all of the games on one half. And then whatever game is the most exciting slash might warrant the most notable result on the other half. And then on my phone, I've got Twitter going as evident by me just like spamming everyone's Twitter feeds (laughs) with notable plays, results, funny stuff, whatever it might be. And then on the TV, I'm again, just bouncing around SEC network, ACC network, ESPN plus going from game to game and I'll be up and locked in from first pitch to last pitch. So 9.30 AM to like to 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m. the next day, and then 
just kind of rinse and repeat uh, up, up until really up until Saturday, I'd say when it calms down a little bit, when pool play and, and bracket play ends for most of these conference tournaments and we get down to the semifinals and finals. So um, it's a lot of fun. The days go by very, very fast. I kind of will look down and then look up in a few hours have passed. Um, but just trying my best to keep up with all the action. It's darn near impossible, but trying my best to do so. The uh, the Pac-12 did you a little bit of a favor on uh, on that by going to pool play this year. Last year they were doing, it was the first year of the tournament, and uh, they tried double elimination. Uh, and to do a double elimination tournament with as many teams as they as they had, you have to you have to play four games at the at the start of it. So like they were they were really going all day, just like the SEC does. And uh, but they're on West Coast time, of course. So you get you got some really late games happening out there in uh, in Arizona. But this year they went to pool play, so they only play three games a day. So it's uh, it's not quite as long of a day from uh, from the first tournaments on the East Coast to the the last tournament uh, out there in uh, in Arizona. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say they made it easy on me because it was, you know, a game, rest, game, rest, and then it finished. Um, But again, the SEC goes nonstop. The ACC was pretty nonstop. And then you've also got to keep track of, you know, the mid-majors per se, even the American Athletic yesterday was a pretty hectic day, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But um, they, they, they may have, uh, they may have had the most to follow of any of these conference tournaments, just given the surprising results across the board. Yeah, the uh, the American started off with a with a trio of upsets as the six, seven, and eight seeds all won, and that actually has some significance uh, because the American is looking like a one bid, or like it should be a one bid league with just ECU making it. Uh, but ECU was one of those teams that got upset yesterday and uh, or Tuesday. Gotta gotta clarify the days here, and uh, they have to fight through the loser's bracket to uh, to win the tournament, which ECU is fully capable of doing. But if they don't, then that would mean that uh, the American would would be part of the bubble shrinking as, as some team from the American snatches a bid. Uh, we've seen that happen before in recent years. South Florida uh, in 2021, of course, won the, uh, won the conference tournament, got in and uh, went all the way to Super Regionals. So we, we will see if... Um, we will see where this all goes. Uh, I'm also reading texts. Uh, there's another situation in the American Brewing is Cincinnati uh, just announced that they uh, fired. Uh, can, can I say that? Let me look again at the, the exact word verbiage here. Uh, yeah, they were fired. Uh, an assistant coach and the director of operations. Like this is like actively breaking as we're recording this. Not only are we recording, but Cincinnati right now is in the bottom of the second against ECU. Yes, like this all this whole thing like came out like basically. I think they probably timed it this way that like Cincinnati hit the field, and in case anybody noticed that like a couple people were missing, they were like, "Here's what happened, you guys," and we fired the we fired these two guys. That's uh, that's a whole thing uh, that we're we're going to be tracking along with all the other coaching changes uh, happening this time of of the year uh since we recorded last there have been a few uh notably penn state coach rob cooper resigned uh at the end of the season which for penn state was uh saturday his 10th at the helm of the program uh so penn state is now looking for a for a coach 
Also notably, Southern Miss promoted officially Christian Ostrander to uh, to head coach. He's uh, the program's pitching coach, has been for for a few years, Does has done an incredible job in, in Hattiesburg in that role, and now he will take over as head coach following uh, the end of the, the Golden Eagles season as Scott Berry is retiring. Uh, so it's a busy time of year in any number of fronts. Uh, conference tournaments, the, the coaching carousel, the transfer portal opens in a week. We've got we've got a lot on our plate here, Peter. Let's uh, w- as we try and make sense of this all. Let's uh, let's go a little bit conference by conference. As as you're getting into your weekend and you're looking at these these tournaments around the country, you want to f- figure out like what do I need to watch? Uh, that's kind of what we're going to try and uh, help you out with here. The SEC is of course always a fun time. Uh, the the tournament is. You know, it's a it's a spectacle unto itself, and the talent level in the league this year is is of course incredible. With so many of these teams potentially vying for host sites and everything, it's not a, a place to do your bubble watching. Texas A and M won on Tuesday, and that was like the Aggies came here with if they had lost on Tuesday, it might have been a little bit of a stressful week. Uh, but they weren't in terrible trouble. But they they really cleaned it up by. Uh, by winning on, on Tuesday in the single elimination game. They move more comfortably into the tournament. Georgia and Missouri were hoping to make a run in Hoover and maybe find a way to, to sneak into the tournament somehow. Well, they both lost their uh, their opening games. So the SEC is now pretty much done with the bubble. There's some hosting questions to, to be worked out because there are just too many SEC teams that have hosting type resumes. Uh, there are eight right now if you discard Tennessee, which I think you have to have after they lost on on Tuesday. Uh, so the record is seven. The SEC is trying to get eight this year. Will somebody be squeezed out? And if so, who? That That's one thing to watch this week. But uh, beyond that, there's just an incredible array of talent. And uh, as, as we, if, if you are getting to this on Thursday, it's in all likelihood that Paul Skeens is going to pitch tonight for LSU in uh, in in Hoover, and that alone is uh, is definitely worth uh, flipping on the uh, the TV or or the price of admission. Well, however, however you follow your games, uh, that is uh, that is definitely going to be worth uh, worth checking out. In looking at this from a broader perspective, I think that the SEC at this point is pretty straightforward, other than maybe figuring out who that last host is going to be. And all have really, really compelling cases. And I think that Kentucky is going to be a tricky one in particular because they got bounced in the single elimination round to Bama. Um, they finished 36 and 18 with six with a 16 and 14 record in the SEC, but they're number two in the RPI. They have 20 wins against the RPI top 50. Their non-conference strength of schedule is ninth. And so that I think it's going to be a really interesting question for the committee because i think that while there are eight or or maybe even nine contenders to host in the sec at this point someone's going to get squeezed out and i find it hard to believe after yesterday it's going to be auburn or alabama um and i think it gosh depending on what happens tomorrow with south carolina whether they face texas a&m who as of recording this right now is leading four to nothing in the fourth against arkansas whether it's Texas A&M or Arkansas who the Gamecocks get, I feel like 
for them to feel safe about hosting, given all that's happened in kind of their downslide in the last month plus, I feel like they have to win tomorrow to feel really safe with that. Because if they're sitting at 39 and 18 and a 16 and 14 SEC record, Kentucky has the advantage metrically. Um, so it's it, it's going to be interesting all around. But like you said, it's not a very bubbly conference. The bids are set. It's just about figuring out who gets those top eight national seeds, which is probably at this point, it's going to be Florida, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and LSU, and then figuring out where the rest lie in terms of hosting. Yeah, the only way I see the national seeds, the, the, those top eight seeds playing out in a, a different way than, than you just laid out there uh, in the SEC is if um, somebody else goes out and wins this thing. Uh, and that is incredibly difficult to do. Like it's all of those other teams are outside of the top four seeds in the SEC tournament and no team from outside the top four seeds in the SEC tournament has won this thing since they expanded the field, uh, which has been like a decade now. So it's just a big ask to have to start the tournament on Tuesday uh, and then win the whole thing. So in all likelihood, the SEC is pretty well locked in and maybe they're playing for positioning if that even matters. Like I, uh, I'm definitely of the belief that like whatever your, your seating is, like it, 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 it's not a big deal within the, the top eight. Like we, we can talk about whether the number one seed is, is jinxed or whatever, but beyond that, like, I, I don't think it, it matters too terribly much. Um, you know, you're going to have to, the, the, the tournament just becomes a little bit chaotic after they seed the thing. And since they don't ever go back and reseed it, um, you know, what looks like, oh, well, like if you look really far down the line, like this would be our pool in Omaha, like cool, but like it won't be. So, <laughs> you know, like the number one seed hasn't even made it to Omaha the last three years. You know, like it's, it's not worth trying to like really suss that out. And ideally, obviously the, the committee seeds one through 16 correctly. And then, the higher up you are uh, in the in the pecking order, then you get a worse potential opponent for super regionals. But again, you're assuming a lot that like that matchup is going to come to pass. So uh, I won't worry about it too terribly much. Uh, I would just enjoy the SEC baseball uh, and the talent on the field. And Thursday is typically like the best pitching day of uh, of the week in, in Hoover. Hopefully that that comes to fruition again tomorrow, today, whenever you're listening to this Thursday, uh, as uh, we're looking like Skeens, Sprout, uh, p- pick your top SEC pitchers. They're, they're probably all in line to, uh, to pitch on, uh, on Thursday. And uh, so that's always, always exciting if we can get the, uh, get the right matchups. One thing to watch, I guess, is um, Vanderbilt and their pitching situation. If Hunter Owen gets on the mound here, we've talked about that before about the injuries that Vanderbilt's dealing with, with Owen and, uh, and Carter Holton. And we'll see if, uh, if Owen can get on the mound here, or if that's uh, more of a next week kind of thing for a regional, but that's, uh, that is something else that I'm watching this week here in, here in Hoover. Yeah. And it'll be interesting for Vanderbilt. It seems like from my understanding, it does seem like whole, uh, excuse me, Hunter Owen is a lot closer to returning than Carter Holton is. It seems like they're, not super optimistic about Holton. So we'll see if he, I, it, I would be shocked if he gets the ball. I don't think he's going to get the ball at all in Hoover, no matter how far Vanderbilt advances, but it'll be interesting as we go along here in the postseason to see, you know, if he returns in a regional or a super regional, or even if they get him back in time, if they make a, a run to Omaha, if he gets used there. So 
that that's a that that'll be fun to follow. All right, let's go to the Big Twelve tournament, which uh, there's a lot more going on there. I would say from a bubble perspective and everything, and. The Big 12 last weekend, we don't want to focus a ton on last weekend. It feels like so old at this point. Maybe that's because I haven't slept since last weekend, but whatever. The Big 12 was crazy at the finish. As you might recall, it went into the final weekend with West Virginia holding a a three-game lead on Texas, a two-game lead on Oklahoma State in the standings. Uh, Texas went uh, was hosting West Virginia. Oklahoma State was playing rival Oklahoma. Uh, all three of those teams had a chance at the title, and ultimately all three of those teams shared the title. Uh, Texas goes out, sweeps West Virginia. Oklahoma State wins the series in Norman. So they all finished tied at 15-9 and in the conference standings, and it was very circular beyond the fact that they all finished tied. Texas swept West Virginia. West Virginia beat Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State beat Texas. So ultimately Texas won the tiebreaker, by virtue of going four and two against those other two schools, Oklahoma State was is number is the number two seed in the Big Twelve tournament, and uh, West Virginia fell all the way to uh, to the third seed. That really threw the whole hosting situation into disarray in the Big Twelve. We had assumed that West Virginia was on track to host. Now, maybe they're not. Oklahoma State certainly helped their case. Texas helped their case. Uh, All of them are going to have a chance to help their case further at the Big 12 tournament. And you might hear this week that like, oh, if one of these three wins the Big 12 tournament, they're probably going to host this week. Well, I would suggest that that's completely not true. Oklahoma, you'll remember, won the Big 12 tournament a year ago, had an RPI in the top 20 after doing so, and did not host in part because the Big 12 tournament championship game is really late in the day on Sunday, and I just don't think the committee has time to react. As I recall, in fact, the hosts were being announced while Oklahoma was still playing last last year on Championship Sunday. Uh, The situation may well repeat itself again this year. So a trophy is not going to be required. Playing well this week is definitely advisable for those three teams. Uh, but that was that was a crazy finish. It was just kind of like that. That is just what the Big 12 has been this season. Anybody can beat anybody. Uh, the whole conference is very bunched together. Part of that is because they only have nine teams. Like they only play 24 games. There just isn't as much time to create separation. Uh, but it just has been a very even league as you know, evidenced by the fact that three teams finished tied for first place with nine losses, which is... Uh, you know, very unusual. Usually the Big 12 champion has less than nine losses. And this year, uh, they they were not able to to, uh, to sort it out any better than that. And, and so Texas, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia share the, share the trophy. Yeah, and as you mentioned, this past weekend, I think, was the perfect metaphor, or I, I think it was what the Big 12 is in a nutshell. And you end up with the tri champions for the regular season. They're all bunched together in the conference. As you mentioned, the transitive property kind of keep going around and around with who's beaten who. And then to make, and and then just adding to the, I guess, storyline of who's going to host Oklahoma state, West Virginia, and Texas. They're also bunched up in the RPI with RPIs of 18, 19 and 20 respectively. And so getting a win or two for, both of these teams for all three of these teams really winning the tournament is is going to be important to to feel as good as you can about hosting at this point and now 
as we're recording this, Kansas leads Texas six to two in the ninth inning. So Texas wouldn't be eliminated with that loss, but it would send them to the losers bracket where they'd then have to run the table. It would also be very detrimental to RPI. There's only one bad right. RPI loss possible in the Big Twelve tournament, and it's Kansas. Right. Not only would they then have to run the table, it would be detrimental to the RPI. So in talking about last year's Oklahoma, maybe if Texas were to get sent to the loser's bracket, they take this hit to the RPI, but then they run the table, they might be the conference champion that doesn't host. Now, on the other hand, you've got Oklahoma State taking on Oklahoma and West Virginia taking on Texas Tech. And as we've mentioned, really anything could happen with with those games. Um, we saw earlier... TCU demolished Kansas State 16 to 3. Kansas State is is looking very bubbly at this point. Um, at least they're trending that way. And then Oklahoma and Texas Tech are are two teams that really need marquee wins to to boost their resumes and to get on the right side of the bubble. So in trying to project the Big 12 and what's going to happen this week, it's a near impossible task. Um, and then when discussing further with hosts, in trying to see who's in the best spot, I guess I would just say West Virginia at this point, or maybe even Oklahoma. It's I go back and forth in, in my head on this one a lot, but I'd say Oklahoma State might have the slight nod over West Virginia. They finished technically ahead of them in the conference standings. They're one spot ahead in the RPI. Their non-conference schedule is a bit better. They've got 15 wins over top 100 RPI opponents compared to West Virginia's 22. So it's like the variability in the committee and what metrics they value, it it seems to change every year. So it's like depending on what they value this year will will likely determine who comes out of the Big 12 as a host because I feel like there's going to be one. I'm, I'm not sure if there's going to be two. It'll be – It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, but how they determine that host or two hosts in the Big 12 is it'll be fascinating to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, trying to split the hairs of uh, Oklahoma State and West Virginia is uh, near impossible. Um, I think that the committee would love it if one of them could demonstrably do something one way or the other this week, like whether that's somebody make an 0-2 exit or you know, somebody be playing on Sunday. I, I think that would help help a lot of the, this out. I mean, they do play head to head, but that that is just one of the elements. I when I made the field this week, I gave it to Oklahoma State um, without feeling terribly amazing about it. Uh, you know, I I think that the strength of schedule argument is probably the best thing that Oklahoma State has going for it. It is also ahead in RPI, but. Um, I, I think those are those are the things you're looking at, and the fact that Oklahoma State did finish, you know, the the way the Big Twelve broke the tie, that meant that Oklahoma State finished ahead of West Virginia in the standings officially. So uh, that is that is definitely something to uh, everything is is in play in the Big Twelve, I would say. And and you mentioned Kansas State being very bubbly. Um, I am all of a sudden like very concerned about Kansas state. Like when I went through and wrote bubble watch yesterday and I wrote the can like I was like really bearing down on, on K state so that I could, you know, evaluate it for, for the purposes of bubble watch. And I, I did not like what I saw. Um, and that was before they lost to TCU. I, I think that what happened to West Virginia last year, they went 14 and 12 in the regular season. 
made a quick exit in Arlington, had an RPI right around 50, I think it was 49. And they did not make the tournament and they weren't even all that close. Um, like it wasn't even a like uh, NC State or Rutgers, like, oh, the bubble just shrunk so badly that you got squeezed out. It was like, well, I mean, you probably weren't making it even before the bubble really started shrinking. Uh, it just If it had shrunk just a normal amount, West Virginia probably would have gone squeezed out last year. So, uh, you know, every year is different. Every committee is different. Every bubble is different. But right now, I don't feel great if I'm K-State. Uh, TC, TCU, on the other hand, though, I, the way that they've played the last few weeks, uh, they've they've really flipped things. They they hit that deep skid early, but or in the the middle part of the season, but they really seem to have uh, to have come out of it. And they're back in Arlington, and I don't know if anybody likes playing in that ballpark more than uh, more than TCU does. And I'll include the Rangers in that. Like TCU loves that ballpark. Yeah, and and going back to TCU versus K State, I guess arguing. Um, each of their cases. TCU also beat Kansas State 2-3 this past weekend in what was kind of a, I don't want to say play-in series, but it was a play-in series of you're either on the right side of the bubble or the wrong side of the bubble. TCU comes out on top. Then they go out and dismantle them again. Kansas State now 57th in the RPI, um, 11-13 and 13 against top 50 RPI teams. Um, Non-conference metrics aren't totally there. I mean, I think that they've got to make some serious noise in their remaining game or games in in Arlington to to work themselves back into the to into the tournament contention. And that might even be going out and, and having to win the conference championship at this point. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Definitely. Uh, I, it, it should be an exciting tournament. Like I said, the, the whole the whole league this year has been a. Uh, you know, kind of difficult to get a get your get the right pulse on. Uh, so I, I expect nothing less than a little bit of chaos this weekend at, uh, at Globe Life Field. All right, we've uh, we've got some more conferences we want to hit on, of course, as we uh, as we continue here on the Baseball America College Podcast, and we're going to do that. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. All right, let's head over to the ACC. Uh, they are well underway as they get started with pool play on Tuesday. Uh, and there's not a ton of drama in the ACC either this weekend. Uh, there is some to be had, certainly both on the bubble and, and in hosting. Um, in terms of uh, the bubble stuff, Notre Dame lost on Wednesday. Uh, they are probably bubble out right now. Uh, it's not a great scenario for the for the Irish. NC State is trying to play their way in. They got a big time win on Tuesday night in extra innings against Duke in uh, a game that I was not watching, but was certainly following from afar and seemed like it was really exciting. Uh, and then in the hosting race, you've got Miami trying to shore up a spot. BC probably did do that on Tuesday with their win against Virginia Tech. Uh, I, I do definitely think that there's a, a regional headed to uh, headed to BC now. Uh, so Peter, it's, uh, I, I know you were more locked in on that, uh, that Duke NC state game. I mean, that, that, that had the, uh, um, you know, it was just a Tuesday game and pool play, but it, it definitely seemed like those two teams were, were really going at it because it, it meant something for both of them. Duke's trying to find a way to host and, and NC state's trying to find a way to get into the field. Yeah. I I'd say of the power five conferences, it was the most exciting game of the day yesterday. NC state jumped out to a really quick seven to one lead in the third. And then Duke gradually, their pitching really stepped up, and they just kind of chipped away at the lead before MJ Metz um, hit the game-tying two-run home run in the ninth inning. Uh, Aiden Weaver and Adam Boucher didn't have their their best stuff um, in there. They went belly-to-belly. Um, you often see in the in these conference tournaments, coaches and, and teams are so concerned with lining up arms and who's going to throw when that – you'll get a lot of short outings from these guys. So they threw a combined inning in a third Aiden Weaver was unable to get an out, but their bullpen for the most part did a really good job. Fran O'Shell, especially through four shutout with four K's. Um, And then it was deadlocked through the 10th until Cannon Peebles, the true freshman who's been pretty good for him um, on a three Oh count. He got the green light and he singled up the middle and, and it ended up being the game winning hit. So a huge win for NC State, as you alluded to. They're now top 25 in the RPI, which is a pretty significant mark for them. I went into this week 
regardless of what happened, what was going to happen in the Duke game, I kind of am viewing them as a team that needs to make it out of pool play to feel a lot better slash, I guess, potentially safe on the bubble. Um, so there's still work to be done there. They have a tough game with Miami, but certainly a significant result for the Wolfpack. For Duke, again, we kind of talk about these teams that are working to host, um, needing work to do to host. Duke, I think it, it's going to be very difficult at this point for the Blue Devils to host. I think that that might have been the final nail in the coffin for him yesterday. So um, a, a very significant game for a lot of reasons. And then looking elsewhere, BC effectively ended Virginia Tech season and in doing so all but secured, I think a hosting bid in Chestnut Hill, which will be a lot of fun. It's the first true regional in, in the Northeast since 1991, I believe. So um, assuming that comes to fruition, that'll be a really fun environment to be at and one I'm excited to be a part of. And then kind of looking elsewhere, Georgia Tech lost. They were a team that needed to probably run the table and win the ACC to get in. And they went down and then looking elsewhere earlier today, as you mentioned, Notre Dame, really tough loss to Pitt. And um, that, that probably puts them, as you mentioned, on bubble out. And then the only real chance they get to, to get on the right side of it is on Friday night against Wake Forest, which everyone knows at this point what Wake Forest is as a team. So it is a very Herculean task for the Fighting Irish to work its way, work their way onto the, onto the right side of it. The one thing that Notre Dame has going for it in that game is uh, as long as Wake wins their first game, uh, which would be against Pitt, uh, they don't have to care about that game at all. So, you know, I don't know how Wake intends to set up the pitching. Uh, I don't know that they would change that if they beat Pitt. Uh, but the way pool play works is basically once, uh, you know, as as the top seed, all you have to do is is finish tied to uh, to advance out of the pool. You don't have to win it outright. Everyone else has to win it outright. And so if Wake just beats Pitt, they would already know that they had advanced because Notre Dame would have a loss. Pitt would have a loss. So even if Wake lost and they all finished one and one, Wake wins that tiebreaker. So. That's that's the hope right now, I think, if you're Notre Dame, is that Pitt helps you out, um, or, or that Wake helps you out, beats Pitt, and then decides that they want to rest pitching for the the semifinals uh, and, and the finals. So we'll we'll see if they if Wake can get that done for them. I guess also if if Wake loses that game, though, Pitt has already advanced. So I guess Wake basically just doesn't have to care about that game regardless uh so that's that's what what notre dame has going for them is that th- that game is going to mean a lot more for them than it will for for wake forest now will that matter who knows but uh that that would all in a win against wake forest would do an awful lot to help notre dame in any number of ways rpi like just everything it would help so big game on friday uh to be sure and, you know, Virginia is also playing for something this week as they right now are kind of right on the cusp of having a top eight seed. And we'll see if they uh, if they can clinch that this week. There are a few other teams nationally fighting with them for it, but uh, they they certainly seem to be in the driver's seat right now. Uh, they're going to try and hold on to it for uh, for the rest of the week there in Durham. 
as we as we were talking about the ACC, Kansas officially has beaten Texas six to three. So, I mean, I'd say at this point, Texas is not going to host. It would uh, it would certainly seem unlikely at uh, at this juncture. Uh, I would I would definitely agree with that. Texas uh, struggling with uh, their their success, I guess, a little bit, having you know just swept uh, West Virginia and then not being able to uh, to get past the Jayhawks here today. Uh, as RPI refreshes, that's probably going to drop them out of the top twenty five in RPI. So yeah, that's uh, not necessarily completely like if if they if Texas went on a deep run, like maybe they could salvage this, but it's probably. That's probably going to do it for uh, for hopes of an Austin regional this year. Um, Big Twelve, wacky as ever. Yeah, uh, I guess after that quick aside, pivoting back to the ACC, um, North Carolina is pretty safely a two seed at this point. Um, and then Friday morning's game between BC and Clemson, I'll have my eyes on that one. One because it's going to be a really good game, and two, I think for BC. Well, one, Texas, I mean, excuse me, Clemson, there are top eight national seed implications there for the Tigers who are playing as well as anyone in the country right now. I I think that, you know, to secure that, they'll definitely need to beat BC um, to, feel, to feel safe on that front. But for the Eagles, depending on what happens elsewhere, when talking about these SEC hosts with, you have South Carolina, Alabama, Auburn, and Kentucky all more or less fighting for a hosting spot. I think for BC to feel totally safe about hosting, it would need that win over Clemson. I think regardless, they're probably safe, but uh, you know, as of your recent projections, um, I believe Alabama was a two seed. Um, That's correct. Somewhat so controversial. They were able to play its way into a hosting spot. Like it could get a little dicey for BC if they, only have that one win over Virginia Tech. So that's one I'll be focused on as well, similar to Duke and Miami um, for the Hurricanes to to potentially secure up a hosting spot. But tomorrow night or tonight, if you're listening on Thursday, they've got NC State. And what's a little bit of a, I'd say implications-wise, almost a an identical type of game as it was with NC State and Duke where – Miami is looking Miami's in a much better spot to host, I'd say, than Duke, but they're looking to shore up a hosting spot. NC State with a win. Probably it can feel decent about its resume getting into the tournament. So um, a lot of fun storylines within the ACC, as as is usually the case year in and year out. Yeah, I um I think BC like this is where it becomes a little more art than science. I feel like BC's already basically safe. Um, I understand that you look at the metrics and it's not necessarily so. But my feeling on BC is that the committee has not had a chance to put a regional in the Northeast in a decade. And I just don't imagine that they're going to pass on that chance because they have a team that has a resume that indicates that they're worthy. You know, it's not the best resume out there, but BC right now has 17 ACC wins, including the tournament as they do on on the official team sheet. They've won 35 games. Uh, They have 
a strength of schedule 30, like their RPI is 15. Like there are problems on this resume, like no doubt. But I think that there's just enough there that I think the geography of it all is gonna, and, and like, like that definitely helps, right? And I, I think that, I just can't imagine them looking this opportunity, which comes along so rarely uh, and saying, you know what? No, like, let's do this other thing instead. It saves money, <laughs> which like uh, we don't think about that often, but you know, the committee maybe should or shouldn't think about it, whatever. But like, it also would save some money uh, if you don't have to put four teams on planes to go place somewhere else if you can put them three of them on buses and if northeastern makes it you don't even have to bus northeastern like northeastern can sleep in their own beds you know they, they can do whatever they like there are just so many advantages of having a northeast regional and they have this team that potentially or that, that, that looks like it has a resume worthy of hosting so i like it's kind of a vibes thing more than it is a science thing. Uh, but that that's why I'm as confident as I am in BC. And maybe I'm trying to will this into existence a little bit because I think it would be cool for a team in the Northeast to host. I mean, we talked about this last week with uh, regards to Indiana State and Campbell and DBU. And like, I think it's the same thing here. Like BC uh, has like done this. They've had a great season already. I would love to see it be rewarded. Um, and hopefully the the committee agrees with me but like even if you're sitting here listening to this as a fan of alabama screaming about but we have rpi of 10 like haven't we earned it too and all the rest of it like i mean it's it's not like bc is undeserving as a host like we're not trying to to jam a regional into the northeast with a team that has an rpi of 28 and like just hasn't uh hasn't played a difficult schedule at all like we're we're, we're staring at a team that is going to have a top 20 RPI that like has as many ACC wins as, as teams that host from the ACC typically do. Uh, so I, I, I think that all of that's going to carry the day and the fact that it's in the Northeast and that it can have these other uh, qualities to it in terms of, you know, growing the footprint of college baseball and uh, you know, being this like really fun regional, like true regional, like not, like they're all regionals, right? But this one, this one is really putting the regional in regional. And I, I think that that, I think that stuff matters to an extent. But again, I, I do think the biggest thing here is just that BC has a resume that, that indicates that they can host. Yeah. And you hit on it, even in a normal year, if like, let's say in an alternate universe, the Northeast is this college baseball hotbed, they host a lot, even in a normal year, BC's resume is, is right on par with with a team that's deserving to host. And then you couple that with, as you mentioned, you get the travel aspect, which is incredibly low maintenance with who's going to be in that regional most likely. Um, And then also where you do have this opportunity to make a little bit of history with the first on-campus regional in gosh, over 30 years. um, I I think that they're going to take the chance to make that happen. And uh, in, in talking about them against Alabama, they also they it's not either BC or Alabama. Um, if Bama wins its next game, it's also probably safe in terms of a host. It's probably already safe now, um, or or somewhat safe now, or it definitely is in the conversation too. But regardless, there's a world where they both host. It's not like okay, if BC hosts, Bama won't. 
um, they very well both could. So it's an interesting conversation. You've also swayed me in, in what you said that yesterday against Virginia tech probably did do it because in looking at BC, it's kind of like, what more do you want them to do? It's like, they have these these nice ACC series wins, most notably the sweep over North Carolina. They won in Durham. It's kind of like, well, they need to do this. They need to do that. I, I think they've done all they can. Um, certainly a win over Clemson would be a marquee win and a huge win for them. Um, one, because they'd go to the ACC semifinals and and be playing for a championship. And two, you know, they'd, they'd be sitting really, really pretty. But I'm with you now in that that they are safe. So um, fun times ahead. It looks like in the in the Northeast. Yeah, the the thing about the Clemson game is it's a neutral site game against a team that's RPI seven. Like it's we're not we're not budgeting BC's RPI in a negative way just because they lose that game. So um, right, yeah, their their RPI would be largely unaffected. Yeah, I mean, it, it like it, they're not moving probably hardly at all with a loss and with a win they. Uh, like everything shoots up and we stop having any sort of this conversation, but um, like I, the resume right now, like even if you want to put in an L cause Clemson's like the hottest team in the country, uh, like BC's resume is effectively the same uh, as, as it will be uh, after that game on Friday. Uh, all right, let's go out West. The PAC 12 is having its uh, second ever tournament in, uh, in the desert. This year they changed the format. They're doing pool play, um, and uh, they're underway. They got underway on Tuesday. the uh, The big story uh, of the Pac-12 tournament so far, I feel like, has been. I guess it's it's a little bit twofold. One is that USC beat its uh, crosstown rival again, and I think at this point we can just say UC, USC is in the tournament for the first time since 2015. Uh, they got to 17. Pac-12 wins over the weekend uh, with a a win in the series finale at Arizona. No team in the Super Regional era from the Pac-10 slash 12 with 17 conference wins has missed the tournament. Um, USC's RPI is now into the top 50. Like there are still flaws on the resume. I don't think they're like, they're probably a three seed, but I think USC is in. I think we don't really have to concern ourselves too terribly much with it. Um, I'm not sure that like they're full on lock uh, because of how bubbly some of the other metrics are. But I, I, I do think at the end of the day, USC is in the tournament, uh, and that would be a really cool thing for for that program, which again hasn't been there since 2015 and is under first year coach Andy Stankiewicz. The other thing that's happening in the Pac-12 is that Arizona State's slide continues. Uh, they got beat pretty bad by Arizona uh, in uh, in the opener for them, uh, and now they uh, they face Oregon State on Tuesday in uh, maybe a bust win game. Like they're very bubbly right now, and another loss would not help them. Uh, their RPI has slid out of the top fifty. It's getting harder to see a path forward for Arizona State if they don't uh, beat Oregon State and. I always knew the second half of Pac-12 play was going to be hard for Arizona State. I guess maybe I underestimated quite how hard it would be. Um, but this is an Oregon State team that Arizona State has be- won in a series, or, or they won the series against. So maybe they'll be able to find some confidence uh, with that previous success against the Beavers. Uh, but it, it, it's uh, the Sun Devils have a lot of momentum going the wrong direction right now. 
Yeah, and I guess in talking about teams on the bubble, I think with last night's win over Cal for Oregon, I think that also puts them in a similar position um, as Southern Cal where they can probably feel pretty good about getting in at this point. Yeah, RPI into the top 40. Uh, They finished sixth in the standings, but that was only by half game against Arizona State, and they won that series. Like I I think the committee would view Oregon ahead of Arizona State for sure. Right, and now they've got the 17 total Pac-12 wins. And then flipping to Arizona State, it was something that we had alluded to when we had had them inside the top 15, ranked inside the top 15 at some point um, this season, but we were always kind of wary of the challenges that the Sun Devils may face in that second half of the schedule. But neither of us, I think, were able to – foresee them losing three of their last four series with their one series win coming in pretty dramatic fashion against UCLA. Um, And they went from being in the potential hosting conversation to now, I think at this point on the wrong side of the bubble, because you look at teams ahead of them and it's USC, Oregon, Washington, and then you've got Stanford, Oregon state um, also ahead of them. And I think that, they really need at least to win tomorrow against Oregon State to to breathe a little bit of life into their resume. Um, and then after that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm ready to declare tomorrow's game a must-win for them. Um, and, and just kind of in darting around the Pac-12, that's really the only team as of now that's in question. I think in terms of what each club is playing for, I think you could argue that Oregon State is potentially trying to thrust itself into the hosting conversation. I think the only way they can do that is with a conference championship. They're deadlocked at 12 right now in the ninth against eight seed Arizona. Arizona, uh, by the way, playing incredibly well. They had a terrible, abysmal start to conference play. Like they're the opposite of ASU, but they are playing really well right now. Right. I mean, they're playing well at the right time. It, it might be too little too late because they do got to win the conference tournament to, to make the field of 64, but definitely something to build off of at least for next year. Um, and then also Stanford's pretty locked into where they're at, um, top eight national seed. Uh, so it's really just kind of following ASU and Oregon, Oregon state closely, um, for, for kind of what's at stake in the PAC 12, because, you know, as, as we mentioned, um, Arizona state, they gotta, they, I'm, they need to win tomorrow to, to get something, anything going as they, veer towards selection Monday. Yeah. The one thing with that, uh, like I threw out the 17 PAC 12 win stat, the, it, it is important to note that yes, Oregon got to 17 and Arizona state could get there with a win against Oregon state. It is a little bit of apples to oranges. Like USC got it done in the regular season. So I feel better about that. But the, um, the creation of a PAC 12 tournament, uh, like, does kind of change some of the historical norms for the league potentially. Uh, now, I don't know that like 17 is not a number that's written in the NCAA manual. <laughs> like they don't, they don't give that to the selection committee and say like, Hey, they made 17, like put them in the field. Like that's, that's just a thing uh, that like, they're probably not even aware of, but like, I do think it's a, it's a big number and it is a number that would help that, that will help Oregon that would help Arizona state. Just don't take it as like, a hundred percent that like just because they got any of those three teams got to 17 that they're they're feeling great about themselves like it, it it's a benchmark 
but it's not a benchmark that I think the committee is like super duper aware of. Like 500 is something that you can be very aware of in your head. Like, oh, we don't like teams with losing conference records. Like that's easy. That's been said before by the committee in like in public. Nothing as specific as, as 17 wins in, in conference play is, is ever going to be uttered. But uh, I, do, I do just think it's a notable thing that, you know, as, as these teams approach and then reach that number, uh, it, it is just a helpful, like, 17 is actually kind of a lot. Um, and and that's, uh, that's just useful to, to have in your mind as, or at least for me to have in my mind as I, uh, as I go about trying to project these things. Uh, all right, let's go to the Big Ten. Uh, they're playing in Omaha, the uh, the double elimination tournament. It uh, started very chalky. The top three seeds, Maryland, Indiana, and Iowa, all won yesterday. That, that tournament has often produced some surprises, so I'm anticipating that we'll get some eventually uh, there in the Big Ten tournament. It's not the conference tournament to really pay the most attention to, though. Like, Iowa... Should be feeling pretty secure having won that game. Uh, their RPI is in a, a really good spot. There are bad RPI losses to be taken at the Big Ten tournament, but I don't think that and those three teams have anything terribly much to worry about. And Rutgers lost a series uh, against Minnesota last weekend, which did a real number on their RPI, and, and Rutgers is now scrambling a bit to, to stay with the bubble. So it's not the, the Big Ten tournament is not the most bubbly one out there. It, again, though, the last the last two tournaments have produced some uh, upset winners: Michigan a year ago and Ohio State in 2019. So uh, if it if it stays on that trend, it could be exciting. But from a uh, from a tournament perspective, at least right now, it's not it is not where I would be putting a ton of my attention. Right, I think outside of a stolen bid. Um, you've got your three Big Ten teams for the tournament in Maryland, Indiana, and Iowa. Now, none of them will host, but you've you've got your three teams. And then outside of that, as you mentioned, the only way you're going to get a fourth is if one of these other clubs storms through the bracket and and is able to to hoist the trophy at the end of this thing. Uh, we have two bids already handed out officially. Uh, the Ivy League and the Patriot League both took care of that on Monday. Army swept Bucknell in the Patriot League Championship Series, and Penn swept through the uh, what they're calling the inaugural Ivy League tournament. And this has actually kind of been bothering me. Uh, like, I get it that previously they only played a championship series, but is that really not a tournament? Like, I get that now they're playing a double elimination four team tournament, but like, is that and whatever? Uh, the semantics of that uh, have have been bugging me for a week. But anyway. Penn headed to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1995. They beat Princeton in the uh, in the title game. Army in the tournament for the fifth straight time. The first under Chris Tracks uh, as as head coach, first year head coach uh, taking over for Jim Foster this year. So, congratulations to the Quakers and the Black Knights. And I also think congratulations to us because we went two for two in predicting those, if I recall. So now that is correct. We, uh, yeah. we were all over that. Yeah, so we're off to a good start. And um, Penn's going to be an interesting four seed, I think. Um, they can really, really pitch the ball well. I don't know how they're going to be able to hit against what is looking like probably UVA, where they're headed. But um, 
they they're they're not going to be an easy out, and neither will Army. So, a couple of quality teams who deservedly punch their tickets. Yeah, Army. Um, if they, they could end up anywhere, uh, they could end up in that Boston regional. They could end up who knows where. Like the, there are several teams in the Northeast that could be the four there. Uh, whoever isn't is going to go somewhere. Uh, but Army's battle tested, and like I wish I hadn't just said that, but like. <laughs> They know what they're doing in the NCAA tournament. Like those players are all very experienced. They have like a star in Sam Ruta in the lineup. It's a, it's a, it's a team that's not going to be phased wherever they get sent. They've been sent, uh, you know, they've played in Lubbock. They've played in Raleigh. They've played all over the place in, uh, in this, this, uh, in their previous four year runs. So I, I think that, uh, whoever draws army, like it's not, they're not the hardest for in the field. Like I'm not, I'm not here to suggest that, but they're also, I wouldn't be thrilled if I saw army show up in, uh, in my regional. Right. And even with Penn in its first series of the year, they, they got swept at South Carolina, but they lost three games by a total of just five runs, including one, one to nothing game. And then a six to five game on Sunday. And that was a fully operational South Carolina offense. It should right. Be it was a, this was South Carolina at a hundred percent. So it is a testament to how Penn can throw the ball. And, and they're in a similar boat to army where it's like, there might be better four seeds in the tournament in the, in the field, but you're not going to be breathing a sigh of relief to see that you've drawn Penn on selection Monday. Absolutely not. So we'll leave it there. A lot of ground that we covered uh, a lot still to come over over the coming a uh, few days, however many days there are left until Selection Monday for whatever. Uh, <laughs> so keep it, uh, keep following us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter's at Peter G. Flaherty. Uh, like I said, we're updating the Field of 64, the projections, and Bubble Watch throughout the rest of the week on BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, the Field will be announced on Monday at noon. Uh, we will come back at some point next week to react to those selections and preview regionals uh, at a time TBA. Uh, we got a TBD. We got to figure that one out internally. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll certainly be here. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. So hit that follow or subscribe button. And we'll, uh, it, that, that episode will pop right into your phone there sometime next week. And until then, enjoy the baseball. It's a great week for college baseball. There's a lot of it to be watched, uh, a lot of high stakes, emotional games. It's, uh, it's one of the best times of the year uh, it, for, for people watching. I, I, I love this week. Uh, and so hopefully you guys can, uh, can find some games to, to check out this weekend. Uh, and throughout the week, there's, uh, there's, again, it's, it's just great baseball, uh, really intense games, a lot of emotions, especially in some of those smaller conferences that we did not talk about, but you know, a lot of, a lot of players are playing for their careers right now or their seasons at the very least. And, uh, that, that leads to some very exciting games, uh, leading up uh, to those conference championship games on Saturday and Sunday. So make sure to check those out, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on your favorite podcasting app. We'll be back here next week. For Peter, I'm Teddy. Thanks for listening.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.